Thank you for downloading this New Zealand Sports Radio show. We have a new way that you can support us. There is a link in the notes down below where you can make a one-off donation to New Zealand Sports Radio. Thank you for support and uh, enjoy the show. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. And welcome to Swinging from the Hips, episode four. We're up to great milestone of number four. And this is your place for everything cricket, for your cricketing fix. Joining us today's show will be Hussein Hanif, and but our regular presenters, welcome Rohit and Taryn. How are you guys doing? How's it? Very well. Very Thank good. You. Very good. good. Awesome. Awesome. Look, we're going to crack into it. We are having a few, just so people are aware, we are having a few technical difficulties getting Hussein on. So Paul's busily working on our production team is working on getting him in there. But while we're waiting for Hussein to join us, let's go with this week in history. And Rohit, what was happening this week in history in cricket? Well, we've got a, a few things here to cover. So back in 9th of May, 1977, Kerry Packer's circus plans for World Series cricket was let after he was denied the broadcasting rights. But only after 17 months passing by, he ended up getting the rights anyway and changed the face of world cricket, which was pretty good for us. And um, had to go hunting for this one back in 2003. West Indies bet the Aussies in the fourth test, chasing a record 418 runs to win. Aussies were on top of um, in the match, and um, Wendy's uh, lost Brian Lara for 60 with the score at 165 after being 74 for three, and then ended up winning the match by three wickets. So that was an amazing feat of winning the fourth innings chase there. And just uh, one other thing that I want to mention is uh, about the birthdays for this week. Uh, born 8th of May, 1983, in Colonel, under Pradesh, India, before moving with the family to Auckland. One Taran Nathula, who's played for Central Districts, Northern Districts, Auckland, New Zealand A, New Zealand 11, Black Caps. He debuted for the Black Caps at Cobham Oval in Whangarei. Went on to play five ODIs where he took five wickets. With five, 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 two. five. What's that? <laughs> really? <laughs> five wickets. Five. <laughs> best bowling of two for 41 with the, end, with, with the bat. He averaged nine in his very limited opportunities he's had. But outside cricket, he's involved in some way at Mount Roscoe Grammar School and Kimu Cricket. But his greatest move was when he joined the crew of Swinging from the Hip. Happy birthday, Taran. 
Hey, happy birthday. <laughs> 32. You didn't mention how old, though. 32. 32, no, 32 no. again. <laughs> well, then didn't work it out. I gave him the date. <laughs> no, come on, come on, let's face it. Most of our Asian population is good at math, so they're going to work it out. <laughs> hey, look, and also, look, we, we can't pass by. Um, was a big moment in world cricket, and that was that 1977 moment when the World Series with Kerry Packer. Basically, he changed the face. We got coloured clothing. We got night cricket. We got basically out of that. You know, as as I joked off the off air to Roy, this is like you know, World Series cricket goes to IPL. I am your father. So um, you know, really, the, the a lot of the developments that we have in cricket today go back to that era in 1977 when we when Kerry Packer pulled all the best players in the world together and created a circus called World Series Cricket. Well, yeah, and um, yeah, it was the best thing that revolutionised the game, didn't it, at the time? Absolutely. Well, you look at you look at um, the development in terms of um, strike rates, right? And it's just yes. like, if you go back, when we would have started, like Rohit and myself, Taryn, probably um, the strike no. rates were a little no. bit better. But, um, you know, yeah. two, two runs and over for a test match, two runs and over, uh, 180 runs in a day of test match cricket. Okay. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. and these days, you know, you're getting 300, <laughs> 300 in a day for yeah. test cricket now. And the, yeah. and the flow yeah. on effects from IPL and, and um, ODIs into test cricket well. and Exactly. You know, 100 a session is what you're expecting these days in Test Match yep. cricket. But even uh, watching some of that old footage of the World Series lately, it seemed like pretty slow going even in those one days. I mean, the ball nowadays players even dive, you know, metres away from the ball. And back then, it was just an amble. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, just, <laughs> just watching uh, the way the players played back then to comparing it to now, it's amazing. Even the, I mean, you put the cricket aside as an entertainment package or as a product, as an entertainment product, that before my time, but that did revolutionize cricket. You know, cricket in colored clothing, cricket under lights, um, attractive time for audiences to actually go down and watch the cricket. That whole thing, I think, changed the face of how people viewed cricket. I mean, granted, we still had black and white television, so you couldn't really tell the colour. But, <laughs> you know, it, looking back on those videos now, it is way more attractive. And obviously, that Kerry Packer series was followed by the 92 World Cup. The, quite possibly yep. the best World Cup, you know. So, yeah, yep. big, big moment in history. I, I don't know if I go along with the best World Cup. We got knocked out in the semis. No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Only time to yeah. lose to the World Cup fire winners, actually. That's, that's yeah, yeah, we lost to the World Cup winners. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, so actually moving moving along, so we'll follow up with um, the news this week in modern history. So let's see, what hap- what's been happening this week, Torrin? Um, we'll, start, we'll start with the impacts of COVID. So... South African women's uh, cricket team was scheduled to tour the Caribbean towards the end of May. That's now been put off for the foreseeable future. South African A team was meant to shadow, well, go as the precursor to their national team's tour to the Caribbean in June. That's also been postponed because you've got South Africa going through a seven-week lockdown, the airports are closed, etc. We then move into the women's 
World Cup qualifiers. There's many, there was a scheduled tournament in Sri Lanka, 10-team World Cup qualifier, with the three teams from there progressing on to the main event in New Zealand late oh, early next year. That's also been postponed. You've got the Under-19 World Cup qualifiers in Europe, Africa, etc., all being postponed at this stage. Luckily, the EAP, East Asia Pacific, qualifiers, they haven't been postponed because they never had a date set for them. Um, but along the COVID front, there have been some developments. Um, St. Vincent and Grenadines have actually come on and they're starting what's called a Vinci Premier T20 League. That starts on the 22nd of May. So going back to the 15th of March when we had the last official cricket game, which was between Karachi Kings and Quetta Calendars in the PSL. That was the last one. This would be the first game of cricket from a full member nation. Take away Vanuatu. The wonderful work Vanuatu have done. Outside of that, this will be the first real cricket competition that's going to be held. That will now be held at Arnosvale Sports Complex, St. Vincent and Grenadines. Um, incidentally, it's they're going to trial no saliva on the cricket ball. And for those that are interested, the names, recognizable names at this tournament will be Kesdrick Williams. You know, the guy who likes to get his handkerchief out and write um, people's names or pretend to write um, the wickets he gets on the hand. <laughs> so really good footage, though. fantastic footage if you get the chance. Um, YouTube, Kesdrick Williams and Chadwick, um, Chadwick Walton. It's funny. Um, so he'll be there. Sonny Umbris, another West Indian player, he'll be playing in it. The way this has come about is through the president of St. Vincent and Grenadines Cricket Association, Kishore Shallow, who also happens to be the vice president of Cricket West Indies. He was approached by Dream Eleven, which is an Indian production company. They wanted some content or streamed into India, which is how this has come, come to fruition. These games will now be played. The funny part is they'll be played 8.30 a.m. local time and till 2 p.m. local time. 8.30 a.m. till 2 p.m. Obviously, they're not worried about viewership. I quickly Googled, hang on, what does that mean into India? That translates to a 6 p.m. to 11 p.m. Indian viewership time. So it's primetime Indian viewing. <laughs> so... It's fully produced, and yeah, it's produced. We joked last week when Taz was here saying, look, our domestic players will happily play at midnight if there's a couple of zeros added next to their paycheck. Yep. Similar kind of thing. So good on them. At least we'll get some cricket going. And for those that are into punting, oh, you know, there's a bit of cricket to punt on. Um, on a serious note, Barbara Azam has now been named the white ball captain of Pakistan. Azhar Ali did have the test um, captaincy, but back late last year, you might have noticed Safraz Ahmed was removed from captaincy, and yep. they knew he was removed from the test in the T20s, but nobody knew what was going to happen in the ODI space, but Babar Azam has now taken on white ball, so T20s and ODI, so congratulations to him. Pakistan have also announced their contracts list. Full list is obviously available on Quick Info. Do then take the time and go on there. But the big movers and shakers are Hassan Ali, Wahab Riaz, and Muhammad Amir. All three of them 
big names, biggish names, quite a big name, lost their contracts on the PCB contract list. Yes, Mohamed Amir. Impressive. Yep, Mohamed Amir and Wahab Riaz both retired from Red Bull Cricket. So that is possibly what drove that one. Um, demotions for Safraz Ahmed from A-list to B-list. Yasser Shah, the big, well, their biggest spin bowling threat. Yep. A to B. And Imam yep. Al-Haq, who's the nephew of Imam Al-Haq, who's the chief selector, goes from contract B to contract C. Promotions for Sheen, Sa- Sheen Shaheen Freedy. Of no surprises there. And Azhar Ali also taking on the captaincy mantle. They go up from B to A. Um, big winners. Um, Wildcard picks, you might say. Nasim Shah, the 16-year-old who debuted last summer against Australia. Australia. Mm. And I'll probably start with 16-year-old. Just for the people listening on um, e- 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 um, um, podcast, uh, there were ear quotes there around 16-year-old. <laughs> yeah, 16 year old, the guy who's three years older than my son bowling 150 clicks, that guy. Yeah, yep, he's yeah. got a contract. <laughs> um, and we also touched on the BBL wildcard, Harris Ralph, who played and did fantastically well for Melbourne Stars. He's also got himself a emerging contract. Finally, closer to home, there, there was this talk of including England into the Trans-Tasman bubble for our cricketing purposes come next summer. So we could potentially see a three-way series between um, England, Australia, and New Zealand with talk of England coming here first, quarantining, and then moving backwards and forwards. So that's what's happening or has happened over the week. That's that's actually, you know, that, that last one's quite an interesting one. If we can get a unified bubble with Australia, that actually opens up quite a lot of possibilities um, in terms of sports across our extended bubble for just like England's doing coming in. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah look, um, I think they'd have quite a few people inviting them. Yep. Because they are a draw card. Oh, I'd be surprised if India don't invite them. But the talk is around... Look, if the T20 World Cup gets postponed to Feb or late Jan, Feb, why wouldn't you just turn up in New Zealand and prepare, play some games here, prepare accordingly, right? Absolutely. And then go to Australia. But hey, no, we're, we're pretty much a geniuses, right? We said this four weeks ago. Oh, absolutely. You know, oh, you're hearing it here first on Swinging from the Hip, aren't you? That's four the thing. Weeks we ago, are... Had you been on this show four weeks ago, we, we called us. So no absolutely. surprises. Let's move on. let's move on indeed let's move on because waiting in the green room is our guest for tonight Hassan Hussein Hanif who's so just a bit of background behind him he's born in New Zealand he's a cricket coach and as well as as being a diversity inclusion specialist what does that mean we're going to find out but look the last 10 years he spent in Australia with Cricket Victoria and Cricket Australia, creating pathways to encourage people with disabilities, ethnic and Indigenous backgrounds to get involved in the game that we love, to play cricket. He's also coached the Australian Intellectual Disabled Team and has been the winner of the Victorian Sports and Cricket Australia Coach of the Year Award in 2016-17. Welcome, Hussein Hanif. Hey, guys. Hi, and hopefully I've got all that right. And, uh, yeah, how, how are you doing? 
Yeah, good. Thank you. Sorry, I had some uh, technical difficulties there from my end. No, no, that's all good. That's all good. It's it's a you know all this technology for us old people like me anyway. It's all very <laughs> over, overwhelming. Overwhelming. Look, that's that's quite a that's quite a great CV that you've accumulated. Um, and obviously you you're still a young man. So um, how does how does it feel to have been involved in so many elements of the game? Yeah. Um, look, uh, I think it's provided an opportunity. I think for um, to showcase skills that normally um, you, we sort of learn things and we, we're unable to sort of put them into practice. So essentially it's learning of good people and Tarun is one of them. Um, growing up in Mount Roskill, I think uh, he was one of them. Roskill that, you Massive. Know, yeah, Roskill <laughs> Massive. We sort of looked up to and I think that's um, provided sort of a pathway in terms of, uh, for myself, coaching anyway. Um, but for younger ones, it's, it's playing and so forth as well. So I think cricket is a great sport that um, unites communities and it brings um, people together. And I think one of the big ones is in New Zealand, especially, is that um, we see diversity different to Australia. I would feel anyway is that we sort of we don't put people in boxes and silos, whereas um, in Australia, you said there, uh, disability, multicultural, indigenous, um, LGBTI, um, all those spaces we work in, but they're all in little silos as well. So it's yeah. just sort of. Um, yeah, it, it sort of fell in place, really, to be honest, and then uh, just been given great opportunities. Look, we'll we'll get into that um, all that uh, diversity side of things as well as women's big bash um, very shortly. But what we thought, while we've got you on, and the fact that you spent so much time in Australia as well, you've got to obviously know the the Australian setup quite well. And and we thought we might get a bit of a rundown on, on how is Australia the Australian structure. And also the impacts that COVID nineteen's basically had on that structure. I mean, obviously, the the, fi- the thing that's been in the news is the financial things. But look, let's let's start with the structure a bit, so that people can get an understanding of how the Australian structure works. We've got Cricket Australia at the top, and then you've got the state associations. What's it? Six of them, um, yep. and then and they're they're answering back to Cricket Australia. That's correct. Yeah. So similar similar model to what we have here in New Zealand. And how does that filter down? Obviously, because the states, have then you're basically, for want, you know, you, you, let's take it like a northern districts or central districts model, isn't it? Because then you've got within that a Hawke's Bay, uh, you know, for central Hawke's Bay, as well as Palmerston North, New Plymouth, and you bring it together. How do they manage to bring all those elements together and and keep, you know, keep tabs on it effectively? Yeah, essentially, it's, um, it's centrally based. So Cricket Australia is based in Victoria. Um, but each of the states have their own, I guess, uh, set up in that sense, similar well, similar model to what we have here in New Zealand. Um, but at, at the end of the day, I think funding is the big one and funding comes from Cricket Australia and allows the states to do what they want. Um, and the same issues here. Uh, I know Tarun would be going through at the moment, stage and age and stage, they call it, uh, where junior formats, they want to change. Now, the national body, body makes the change. And it's up to the states to implement them. If you don't, you pull the string and you say, we're taking your money off you. Um, in the same sense, female cricket and whatnot as well. But you want to also keep the national body happy at the same time. Um, and if you do, that that allows you to have pathways. It allows more players to play national cricket. Um, and everyone's aligned in that same sense as well. And I, and I suppose at the end of the day, you know, the strategies that the, the national body has um, come up with is in the best interest of the game, and so it should have a flow-on effect if you implement those to the letter um, that they've sort of prescribed. Yeah, spot on. So uh, I guess a, a prime example is disability cricket in itself. 
Um, Australian cricket, I think 2015, took on a mantra where uh, cricket is a sport for all, the hashtag a sport for all, and Combank jumped on board, um, threw a whole lot of money into it, but it was up to the states to bring a deaf and intellectual disability team um, and a blind team to a national carnival. Now, for that to happen, you need all the states to buy in. You need productive um, grassroots people actually uh, providing opportunities in terms of uh, getting them to play the game. But then they're wearing a national shirt, uh, sorry, a state shirt as well. State they're wearing shirt. the Victorian V, um, the Tasmanian Tiger shirt or whatnot. Um, so essentially it, it, pre it presents an opportunity, but it's up to the states to then um, actually buy in and, and, you know, bring those teams along as well. And then as you mentioned Combank, Combank, so probably a good time to sort of digress, digress, not digress, but go into um, into the COVID-19 impacts that they're seeing across Australia. Look, we're hearing a lot in the news with Usman Kawaja getting upset about pay cuts, et cetera, for staff, et cetera. Um, players um, cuts haven't seemed to have flowed through. I could be wrong on that one. I'm not sure where that's at. And then obviously the state negotiations, state association negotiations, whilst you've got the... Um, um, the association itself with 50 mil in the bank, uh, a Ford facility from Combank for 50 mil, and then the possibility of 350 mil um, series with India. So how, how's the financial situation with COVID-19 playing out across the Tasman? Yeah, it's different states. So I, I think, look, personally, I can only um, talk about Victoria. Um, I know that uh, everything's sort of waiting on the India, you know, series is from what we're hearing internally from um you know, as you mentioned, I think 300 to 350 mil and they're doing whatever they can in that sense to get Coley and the, and the troops over. So essentially that covers costs. Um, and, and, you know, it, it, I don't know, you know, sort of seen on the show is how much impact India has on world cricket and the, and, and the amount of money that can bring in revenue. Um, we're just talking today in terms of New Zealand, for example, how much revenue they would have made uh, by having India tour here and, and what sort of impact and has did that have essentially um, on them touring as well, but Australia in a or Victoria in a in a dire sort of strait at the moment. It's um, I think it was around 2015. Uh, Victorian cricket invested heavily in terms of uh, developing uh, more people in the grassroots. So essentially, they put more people. We have 12 regions in a breakup of um, Victoria. In that region, they have a cat, which is a coach and talent ID specialist. So um, and then they'll have a, a participation officer. A club officer, which delivers and, and uh, delivers on club programs, uh, a cricket manager, and an area manager. So essentially, all those resources were put into the grassroots. Um, they were funding that was provided from the players as well to support grassroots. Um, they did that for three to four years, and then they noticed that they weren't getting well. They were getting the participation numbers because there was more eyes and ears. There was more pathways in terms of players. Um, you know, that were being recognised in that sense, but they weren't getting a reward, um, return reward in that sense as well. So um, they've now shifted their model. So a lot of the press is saying that because of COVID, this has sort of happened, but like any uh, institution or, or uh, organisation, um, you know, essentially, if it's not working, you change your model. And I think it's the right time to change the model. It's just that, that right time. I went through the same before working in cricket at Honeywell, um, analytics and you know I, got, I was one of those unlucky people but essentially it was part of uh, business at the end of the day um, Victorian cricket is in a healthy position it's not like per se they have got money in the bank they've got a new multi-million dollar facility um, it's just bad management of funds at the top end that has allowed them to to sort of show that you know they've got these people in the grassroots now how can we get more participants playing the game but how can that equate also into more money generating out of the game as well? Um, 
So if you learn it, look at early learning programs, Woolworths invested. For example, a year ago, Milo pulled out and uh, Woolworths, for example, uh, took over, which is, uh, I think, here called Countdown. They've got the big W in New Zealand. Um, <laughs> and they took over and essentially um, that's revenue stream for a club and that's revenue stream for Victorian cricket and Australian cricket in that sense as well. So, um, you know, there is money in the bank for Victorian cricket. It's very unfortunate that staff, especially people that I worked with, has um, let go. But it also presents an opportunity for Victorian cricket to be stronger. There's going to be less staff in the grassroots, which means it's sad because more clubs aren't going to see, um, you know, a cricket manager, a participation officer, <laughs> you know, a coach and talent ID officer coming down. But it also presents more opportunities for clubs uh, per se, to become stronger, especially premier clubs to become stronger in uh, Victoria. Hussein, um, firstly, well done on uh, getting out of there before the pay cuts hit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, just saying that well done on getting out and coming across before the pay cuts hit, right? Tell us, with all that's going to happen, who do you think is going to struggle? Is it Premier Clubs or is it Rep Sport or Women's Cricket or where Where are they going to feel the squeeze up front going into next season? Yeah, in Victoria alone, I think it'll be the grassroots. So essentially we've got a lot of associations where, say, for example, per se in Auckland, um, we've got the one association essentially and then that looks after all the clubs. So we've got multiple associations in Victoria where they're going to be hit now. So they don't have eyes and ears. Um, you know, in the grassroots, it's going to be a, a harder to become a rep cricketer because there's no, you know, there's no, there's no uh, uh, tournament rep tournaments anymore. But also, in the same respect, I think, yeah, um, the less the less you have in the grassroots, is in people turning up and actually putting in effort, volunteers driving it, um, the more impact it's not going to have. You know, in that sense as well. So I think they're the ones that are going to get hit. But it it also means that Premier cricket becomes stronger. You need good people investing. And they got to know what they're doing, essentially, um, and and they got to replace the people that were there before. Yeah. Just just want to take a step back, actually, in, in terms of understanding something, because a new concept. I mean, it's been around for. I mean, what what are, what are we up to? Big Bash six, seven, eight, nine. I can't remember, but maybe I like eight. <laughs> oh, I nearly got there. Um, now, obviously. Prior to Big Bash, you had each state had its association, and when you're playing one day cricket or even T20, when it was back before Big Bash, one team per state. With Big Bash now, um, you know, with Victoria and New South Wales having two teams um, in the Big Bash, how's that work? Are they run by Cricket Vict or a franchise that's given out by Cricket Victoria, or are they directly back to Cricket Australia? No, they, um, they're created out of the state. So essentially Victorian cricket, um, we had two franchises, but we had, um, per se, well, they, we call them clubs rather than franchises because they're invested in, in, so it's similar to Auckland, I guess, the Hearts and the Aces. Um, they're actually internal. But what happened was when they started, they actually started like franchises. They had their own offices. They weren't part of it. Um, game market development and marketing was separate, for example, throughout the season. Um, and they would bring in more stuff just to deliver on game match awareness and functions and so forth. Um, what happened over the last 24 months was they, they sacked the general managers. So this is, uh, yep, they sacked the general <laughs> managers and they um, embedded it into cricket, Victorian cricket, sorry. Um, so essentially, I can only speak, as I was saying, in, 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 
in regards to Victoria itself, but yep. um, that had a huge impact. You know, that was massive in the sense that, um, yes, we're taking away from this franchise-type model, um, but also in the same respect, I get to go into a grassroots program and I can wear red or I can promote red straight away. I don't have to yep. go to A, B, and Z to say, you know, to get approval. able to promote correct. So yep. essentially embedded, um, that makes our community programs that I was working on a lot, lot smoother as well. Um, so we set up things like um, Melbourne Renegades Champions League. So it allowed, we saw a s small proportion of um, South Asians. We had Gurinder Sandhu, um, Usman Khawaja Farwad, for example. Uh, but we didn't, we had a, a large population of multicultural uh, kids that were playing and, and great cr and great cricketers in Premier and sub-district cricket, but they weren't being pushed into Premier, uh, sorry, into Big Bash cricket. So we created models that we could then, or sort of programs that can then push these guys, fast track them into the, the system. Um, so we didn't have to go through the Renegades hierarchy. We just did it through <laughs> Cricket Victoria, which was a lot easier in that sense. How do they how do they maintain the sort of um, autonomy of the organisations then in terms of the stars and the Renegades? Um, because you know, like as you said, you go haven't got the general managers. How is you know who's who's going to be picked up for which? Well, I'm going to use the term franchise just so we can, you know, people can maintain yep. the understanding of it, right? So, the okay, watch players are going to now going to go towards the Renegades franchise and who's going to the Stars franchise because now, effectively, you're all under the one umbrella. Yeah, and that's that's where Cricket Victoria have changed the two. So, essentially, they're in a, in a dire straight. They've got one general manager. So, last year, they cut every all the, the two general managers for the clubs. They brought in one who was Nick Cummins, who owned or who was looking after, sorry, Thunder when they first originally year two, year three, year four, I think it was, and then five and six, he went to the Hobart Hurricanes, and he had a great stint there. Essentially, what it did though is that it presented opportunities um, to, for Cricket Victoria to actually run these pro, run these teams, franchises per se, um, re, you know, through Cricket Victoria programs aligned pathways, coaches, and so forth. Um, but they're in a dire strait at the moment. So Nick Cummins is now, not Kim, Nick Cummins, the rugby player, by the way, um, oh, yeah. is now <laughs> the general manager. The first thing I thought when uh, when he got signed up, but no, nah, he, he, he literally looks after both teams. Now, Nick Cummins, I'll give you a, a prime example. Last year, um, Dal Stane uh, gets injured and Nick Cummins is connected to Lahore Canlanders in Pakistan. So Lahore Kalandas play against um, Sydney Thunder in a series they set up, I don't know how many years ago. It was sort of like an exchange where players come and they play train it with the Thunder squads and that. Um, and Harris Ralph had been playing um, for or training with the Hobart Hurricanes and he'd be playing T20 cricket as a franchise player for their premier system. What had happened was um, obviously a phone call gets made the next day, he's a superstar. You know, that, that, that was that was it. That Nick Cummins was a key connection. Um, that player could have gone anywhere. Because when I was working for the Renegades at the particular time, my role was uh, community engagement, uh, head of community engagement, so um, in Victoria and the northwestern suburbs. And we would have loved to have Harris because uh, Harris Ralph is Pakistani. We've got a high population of Pakistani, you know, Pakistani community. Um, so essentially, Usman Shunwari pulls out. Pakistan say he's going to play test cricket now. So Renegade signed this, you know, him up. And there was another Pakistani player they signed and, and he didn't pull through as well. So Ralph would have been perfect. But, you know, Nick Cummins had a connection with the Stars, made that connection and said, here, here you go. Here you so go. it's going to Happy cause days. a little what? bit of 
dramas, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But it also presents opportunities like that one did there um, for more players from foreign countries to come and play as well. Just, just going to sort of like, I think just taking an element of what you've sort of said with the ethnicities and the like, one thing I noticed with going through the multicultural um, page, for want of a term, for, for Cricket Victoria, in terms of, um, I'll just get this right, oh, geez, look, I'll, I'll just get, sorry, I'll get to the, we made the notes and then I didn't have them there, the International Student Academy. Um, so, you know, that's going to your TAFEs, which is obviously like your, um, your, um, your, your, um, technical colleges and, yep. and, and getting ethnicities involved in the game who love the game but just aren't involved. So how's that working and, and obviously what impact is that having? Yeah, so essentially we had a massive student base um, that weren't playing cricket. So they were coming as students, um, especially, for example, the, the Nepalese community, for example, we had a high population. Now they've outnumbered the UK or English um, students that were coming and actually studying. So um, that gives oh, you a prime example. I'll just are they international students or are they actually sort of residents or what sort of what's um, international students? Yeah, international yeah, students. So they'd come across, for example, and they're cricket loving uh, people. Mm. So for us, it's 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 how we can, you know, connect these people connect. into Cricket Victoria and 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 especially the Big Bash franchises um, straight away. So essentially, for us though, it was an opportunity. They're coming as students, um, get them involved in our game and get them to understand what Victorian cricket can do. For them, think, oh, at the end of the day, the Big Bash is a long season. We need people to buy seats <laughs> and, and <laughs> yeah. be, be a part of cricket as well. So it's a two prong thing, I guess. Um, at the end of the day, um, and I guess at the end of the day, they, they are um, they're cricket loving, as I mentioned before. So it's an easy sell. Um, four week skills yeah. programs, we get them into you know development programs so they can become umpires, um, so they can get funding, so they don't have to work at their local McDonald's and whatnot. They can actually umpire. On a Saturday as well, so we're embedding them yeah. into the culture of cricket. Yeah, giving them something different. Conversion rate. Well, sorry, sorry, Ashwin. What's yeah, the no, conversion go, rate? Can, what's the conversion oh. rate on these um, um, these students? Right, they, you know, you give them opportunities to be involved in cricket. How many yeah. of them actually take on this opportunity, and how many actually progress on, and not just on a playing front, umpiring, coaching, managing, whatever that might be, in a paid capacity? What is the conversion rate? Just roughly. Yeah, um, there's no real conversion rate, to be honest. Like, oh, there, there wouldn't be a particular number because we've got so many associations. They could be in different associations, umpiring, coaching, or playing. Um, what we did, though, is look at um, do we have enough students or South Asians, for example, in coaching? And if you look at the premier structure, we've probably got one, Keith Jans and um, Frank Frankston, you know, uh, coaching, and he was a coach, sorry. Um, but, but, you know, so then it presents opportunities for them to be involved in the game. But essentially, if we don't provide those opportunities, especially when they're coming in uh, first-year, second-year students, then they're not connected into understanding what Victorian cricket is. One of the key things is we understood that they weren't really understanding what a state body does because in India or in Nepal or whatnot, they just go out and they play cricket, Azad Madan, sort of cricket style, you know, um, tape ball and so forth. So we were getting them to understand what our structure is first. Um, and we're getting to know what, what they want, essentially. Um, then we provide them opportunities. So things like, um, you know, community coaching courses was a brilliant one. They presented us um, community coaching, you know, we presented them, sorry, community coaching courses, free community coaching course. Then they can go out and run Woolworths Cricket Blast or Milo equivalent 
um, they get paid their $120 or whatever it is. They umpire on a Saturday, $150, you know, or if they're good enough, they connect it into clubs. One of the things I found when going to Victoria was it was just hard to turn up to a premier club and play cricket. Um, so essentially, this will be an open door sort of opportunity. The best ones, they come through and they, you know, they, they show their skills and go, well, you're actually really good. So here's an opportunity for you to progress in that sense as well. Um, and a lot of the students, especially Deacon, um, you know, there was two guys that actually played IPL cricket. So it was like, these guys are students. They're in Melbourne. How do wow. we get them to play? One actually played with, yeah, Ryan Nanan. If he is, uh, no, no doubt, he's, he always tunes in everywhere to do with cricket. Ryan Nanan played with Virat Kohli in, the, I think, year one, year two of the IPL. So it was, it was a really, um, you know, and they come over as Deacon students, essentially. Um, they're, they're then opportunities for these guys to then progress as well. So you're saying so, Deacon oh, students. Sorry. So I'll just just finish with the Deacon students there. So you got Deacon students. You, you, that's that's not that's not a um, international sort of. Um, I mean, that, that's a proper university for want of a term, isn't it? Correct. I mean, like just so that people that are listening, whether uh, outside of Australia in particular, this is like Deacon University is is for New Zealand. It's a University of Auckland. It's a yep. it's a high quality education place. So you've got people coming along for an education there that have got other abilities as well. Yeah, Rohit, sorry, you, where you go? Yeah, I was going to just say you mentioned like the um, Nepalese market and that uh, as far as ethnicities go. What about um, outside of the traditional ethnicities? What sort of work is being done over there in in Victoria about trying to attract other ethnicities into the game and growing it in those markets? Yep. Who, so I was like, yeah, Rohit, who? What country What's, would you like to see a bank cricket? What country would I like to see playing cricket? Well, I'm yeah, just trying to see what, Vic, like, there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of Aborigines and that, uh, other ethnicities in Australia, like the, um, you got uh, the Greeks and that as well. And where I'm sort of coming from is because in New Zealand, we've got a really big Pacific Island base that just mm. uh, don't seem to make it in cricket for some reason. Yep. And look, these guys are damn talented at playing cricket. But for some reason, after they finished their school, they just don't keep going and progressing. And we're missing out locally on really good talent. And how many, um, that's, how many just... that's good. Like, I'm glad you asked that. But how many players of a certain ethnicity would we have to see? Hassan's laughing. Um, would we have to see to say, oh, yeah, that's a true representation of our. Well, I'll give you, I'll give you, how many numbers give... do you want to see? Rohit, I'll give you an example. You see the Greek, so um, player of the tournament for the Big Bash. I'll give you guys a guess. Stoinis. Exactly. So Greek yeah. background. So essentially, like he's a he's a big, um, WA boy, played in Northcote where I played premier cricket. I didn't know he was Greek. You know, the indigenous captain of um, Victoria, uh, Abitangelo. Now, Abitangelo, you wouldn't think it's indigenous. Um, you know, I mean, that 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 it, it presents those opportunities. But also, I, I think the other thing is, uh, um, you know, is the non-traditional countries, for example, uh, you sort of look at like a China, for example, we don't see, we've got a high population of Chinese, even here. When are we going to yeah. see our next, um, I know Tarun would probably know, Danny Wong, who played cricket for uh, Eden Roscoe. It was his birthday, two days <laughs> oh, ago. really? There you go. <laughs> so, you know, when was the last time we saw an Asian cricketer um, play in Auckland, for Mark example, Chia. which is a high population? Mark Chapman. Or Chappie, yeah, but Chappie, you know, like, yeah, um, he's yeah, got an he's, English connection. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hong, Hong, Hong Kong, Hong Kong, Hong Kong. Yeah. 
Mother is uh, Seychelles Chinese. Brilliant. And I mean, that's the thing. The other thing is that um, in my particular role, the reason the role was created was to cater for the 50% of the population that was multicultural. So one parent was born overseas. So looking at that, how can we get more coaches, more players, more female players, for example, uh, more umpires, um, more board members, because they are the key. <laughs> I'm learning this now in Auckland cricket. You need more right. diverse board members to actually make a difference in the grassroots. And I'll be honest, and that's what's not happening in Australia. So essentially, the more we can get people from ethnicity and those ethnicities in the system, the better the system's going to be. Um, now, you know, the Chinese, for example, is, was one that really strung to me and people go, your role is multicultural diversity head. You should be engaging. Well, reality is in that particular region, the Indian community is not playing cricket. So, you know, the, we shouldn't be tackling the non-traditional communities if we can't get the traditional communities playing the game at the moment. You know, Sri Lankans weren't playing, for example. So essentially it's, it's, a, it's a hard so one. Go to your, um, go to your streets first you before you start to go out yeah. wider. <laughs> but why weren't they playing in those um, areas? Why weren't the traditional? Yeah, there was. So, for example, there wasn't many hustlers in those regions, you know. Um, yeah. In the same sense, it just needed a lot of love. Um, Victoria's a big place. I mean, you know, country and metro. Um, as I said, we split them into 12 regions. At current point, Victorian cricket today, I think there was 42 losses of staff. So they're down to 12. So essentially, that's going to get worse. That's um, double Auckland. That's double Auckland staff. <laughs> Yeah, well, Auckland staff, you've got uh, 5 million people in, in Melbourne alone. So you sort of say that's the whole country. But essentially what they were, they, they had four staff or five staff per, you know, region. And now they've got um, four staff, you know, in sort of cluster areas. I think yeah. one of the staff members mentioned to me now with these cuts, it's five hours to drive from one end to the other. So it's going to be really difficult to look after the the, the, the sort of clubs and the associations in those regions. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. No, look, I want to go back yeah. to that question, though. Rohit and Hussain. Yeah. How many, for Auckland, how many players of colour, for the lack of a better term, do we need to say, to do we need to see in an Auckland side to be able to say, oh, yeah, look, um, we must be doing well on our ethnic drive or engaging with our market what do we need to see i, I think you you marry it my personal opinion sorry roy i jumped in there no you go for it you go. of the um premier system and also in terms of how many people we have living here for example or playing the game in that sense so a true representation of how much percentage of people are living in the particular state and also how many are playing at the highest level in terms of premier cricket from from a grassroots level, though, would know that South Asian kids in Mount Ross School to um, you know wherever, like they'd all be playing cricket, um, whether at Cornwall or wherever, all these premier clubs, or, you know, at cricket clubs essentially. But that's at the changing, top level, though, that's changing. Cricket's got to catch up. We have got to be careful that there's a lot of assumptions made. It's almost yeah. Or I don't want to get political about just don't general get political, but um. <laughs> It's changing where we need to get away from the assumption that, oh, they're Indian, they'll play cricket. That's fine. They, well, sorry, <laughs> I shouldn't say Indian. They're East Indian descent, so they'll play cricket. That covers everyone. Right? You yeah. can't just assume that. There's a lot of kids. I work at a very multicultural school. They play football first, basketball second. The guys that play cricket 
are recent immigrant or children of recent immigrant families. The ones yeah. that are that came here when they were five or six or the ones that have done their primary schooling in New Zealand, they don't necessarily see cricket as their number one sport anymore. So we've got to be very careful on how we go about that space. Yeah. I was going to say, that's what I was going to come back to in terms of that question, what you put out there. How many players do you have to see of ethnicity in, a, in a, say, the Auckland Aces before you say, oh, it's successful? Actually, no, you've got to go back to grassroots. You gotta yeah. say you just want to get your numbers saturated at a grassroots level, and you're going to have the flow-on effect. As long as you've got certain parameters in place going up the chain, um, you're going to see the flow-on effect if you've got that saturation happening in an ethnicity at a grassroots level. So really, yeah, don't look, don't focus, focus on performance at the top level. At the end of the day, if you want to see a certain group represented, you've got to get that saturation happening to find that golden nugget in that group that's going to then represent at that top level, isn't it? Because you don't just want a representation for representation's sake. The reason I I asked that was it was a bit loaded in the sense I think it was three years ago we'd we'd had a game in uh, Napier. I was playing for the Auckland side and I think some, yeah, long story short, we must have won the competition, the four-day comp last time when Auckland won it and we were looking around the change room and we thought, oh, hang on, this is awesome. We had Mark Chapman on the side, half mm-hmm. Chinese, half European. Jeet Raval and myself, both um, immigrants. And Sean Salia, who's half Samoan. Mm-hmm. We, and Jeet and I were like, oh, hang on. This is actually a very true representation of Auckland as a community. You had you Pacific Islanders, Indians, Chinese, and Europeans. You know, one thing I'll say there, T, is that I think in Australia they sell things better. <laughs> they would have been all over the news. They would have been, you know. It's one thing yeah. I've learned. They just don't tunnel vision. They, oof, you know. And But they, you have to. Um, role models are built on those things as well, right? Is Tarun is South Asian and he's Indian and this guy's Samoan and I need to promote that. You know, we can't still be talking about Murphy Saw and, and the likes <laughs> when you've actually got Sean. <laughs> so, yeah, you know. Shawnee, how much has been done to promote them? Yeah, look, Shawnee two years ago went on and played for Samoa in the East Asia Pacific qualifiers in 2018. I think 2018, yes. He represented Samoa and played in the qualifiers. They didn't qualify, PNG got through, but Shawnee played. There's Tua Gaga from Wellington. He didn't play. But last year at the South Pacific Games, James Baker, he played. Who plays? Who's the opening bowler for Indy? He's played. So, talking about low-hanging fruit, Samoans are probably the best bet if you want to target anybody in Auckland outside of your traditional yeah. markets. And they already got the you know hand-eye coordination and so forth. Absolutely. Um, we got in the. You got Kalitic, Kalitic, oh, I can't say it around. Someone cricket. I'm just going to, I'm going to move along there. We've got a few other things that we want to, we might better come back to some of these topics, but there's a couple other things that we really want to and we um, cover off and we are, time's running away on us real quick. Look, my understanding, you, you're involved with the Big Bash, Women's Big Bash cricket as well. Is, is that correct? Yeah, so um, I was very fortunate with uh, Cricket Australia and Cricket Victoria winning the Community Coach of the Year, um, and that allowed me to do some work with, um, at the time, uh, Dimitri Mascarenas, 
um, and Andrew McDonald, um, some coaching sessions and so forth. But also just opened the my uh, opened my, I guess, insight in terms of um, you know the what the big bash is and what this big beast is essentially. Um, uh, but it also opportunities to to coaching as well. Because when you look at women's sport, um, Australia seems to be making great strides, generally speaking, in terms of the um, the, the exposure that those women's sports are getting. And the Big Bash, Women's Big Bash is probably one of them. They're getting some pretty decent crowds. What are they doing different? Or what, what are, well, not different because it's really a, it's a beginning point for everybody, really. So what are they doing well that's achieving some of those big crowds and getting that following happening? So essentially, I think um, what well, we're in the fifth edition now, um, or last year was the fifth edition. What they did was, um, and, and that was a first, sorry, standalone season last year. So I think you mm. spoke earlier in a show about, uh, well, the first or second show in regards to WBBL and, and games, you know, games before the men's games. That was a, a, ch- a cheaper, viable option, and, and it allowed the in a different sense, like audience to watch female sports and then have an opinion um, rather than putting on TV, low TV numbers, and then that doesn't generate, you know, in terms of revenue and sponsorship in that sense as well. Um, what it did, though, last year it taught us a lesson that, yeah, people still didn't want to come and watch uh, except if the big players were there. So essentially what the Big Bash were doing were bringing the big players. I mean, Amelia Kerr was a big attraction for mm-hmm. Brisbane heat um last year leah Tahuhu, obviously amy was having her baby um so she wasn't available but you look at so sophie divine she's yep. the world's best number one and she attracts she's number one to yeah. watch her play um they've put so a lot of people, money did people turn so hussein did people turn up to want to go watch amelia Kerr play yep uh, she was turning along, the same line, along the same line there my um, don't want to say Marcus Stoyan. Yeah, um, Rashid. Rashid, Rashid, Rashid no, not not to that degree. So female sport is, is growing. Yeah, yeah, I mean female sport is growing. What 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 um, Cricket Australia did in 2015 is get the players to put money. So I think it was hundreds. Uh, 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 sorry, 20 million was invested in grassroots out of the players' funds. So that went into grassroots to allow girls' programs to start. So what it did was they were investing in the grassroots, get girls to start playing. They put 2,000, I think it was, towards. So, you know, Torrin said, I want to start a girls' team. I've got a daughter. And, you know, there was $2,000 for you to start a cricket team. What it did, though, that's sprinkling into the grassroots. So then what it does, it it brings Amelia Kerr turns up. There's actually heroes that they can be a part of. Prior to that, there was no heroes. You know, Belinda Clark and the Australian team won a World Cup long time ago. You know, in India, so that that there was those heroes were there, but there was no one else. Um, it, and all and it does, sort of in. It does work. It absolutely, does work. My daughter's just turned seven yesterday, and um, and she, my son and I, my my son's a sports nut, rugby and cricket in particular, and so we're watching it. She'll come along and watch, sit down with us for a few minutes and watch it and wander off, sort of thing. If there is women's sports on. Totally different story. She will sit there and watch women's sport, even if my, even if I'm not watching it or my son's not watching it. He, she'll watch the women's big bash, and she'll sit there and watch it. It's, girls want to see female role models in sports. Absolutely, and, and, and they see them. They'll sit there and they'll watch them. Yeah, absolutely. No, 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 I agree with you more because um, 2018, we were out as a family celebrating 
yeah, well, a family function at a pub. We're at a pub, and my daughter. Those that know my daughter, she's a she's a girl's girl. She's a princess, and that's what <laughs> believe in fairies and princesses, and that's what mm. that's their life, right? And she, there's a woman's big bash on the screen. She looks over. She goes, "Oh my God, Daddy! There's girls playing cricket. Look, there's a pink team and a purple team. The Hobart side's playing the Sydney Sixers side." And that was her first, um, well, impre- well, first engagement with cricket. Fast forward eighteen months, she actually went through a superstar program this year purely because she wanted to play cricket. Because she thought, "Oh, do I get a pretty pink top? No, you don't. But you get a nice gold." <laughs> <laughs> so she she didn't even yeah. want to watch dad play cricket, but she likes to bowl and you know, purely, completely out of. Cricket Australia is doing nothing to do with anyone yeah. else. Yeah, so I think yeah. you you look at the materialistic view of the Big Bash, and that changed my view as well. Is that the you know last year they got rid of after the fires they got rid of the the, the fireworks for example um, that they used to have the blitz that used to go off you know when the game started and so forth the loud music that you know basketball type of um, atmosphere you know the music mm. um, the colours the television. The loud, you know, the live announcer, those sorts of things is what attracts people. So my perception of cricket has changed. It's now a carnival, you know. So essentially we're selling tickets to an event. Um, the Renegades were perfect. You know, motocross used to work with Renegades. So, for example, at half time or before the game, you get to see this motorbike doing flips before the cricket game on the same field. So essentially that, you know, changes your mindset. You're going for three hours you're spending 20 bucks. What do you get from it? You watch bikes, you watch cricket, you watch, you know, all these other things that sort of line up apart from just it's three hours of cricket, you know, and that that attracts young girls, for example, young boys to the game. Um, and are also that that's the other element is they're playing cricket. I want to play cricket like that as well, dad or mum, so- you know. I'm hearing I'm hearing a big element is the investment in dollars really, and that's what's helping to get that women's cricket, girls cricket really taking off in Australia. We just don't have the dollars in New Zealand, is it? So how is so I'm sort of to again mindful of time. So there's a few things that we just want to make sure we wrap up, and that's bringing the learnings from Australia and over here. So we're talking about women's cricket and big women's big bash. How do we take learnings from Australia? and achieve outcomes in New Zealand? Obviously, we don't have the dollars. What can we achieve? So you've got the players. The players are here. Sophie, yeah, Sophie Devine, Susie Bates, Camila Kerr. I guess look at the male game and say what clicks. And look at five things that click in a male's game. And Taran, you've been there. You've seen it. What actually attracts people to come to the games? What, are, you know, what, what does it mean for those kids that turn up and so forth? Um, and how do we get that same model here? In terms of females and you know coming i think one of the big things is you got to understand wbbl doesn't charge to come watch a game unless it's a grand final semi so they're not charging money it's actually sponsors and television and so forth that are keeping them alive last year they've gone standalone essentially as well so i think it's how you actually sell the game um hundred go no you got to go free you can't charge under 16 you've got to go free You've, yeah, absolutely, nah. You've so, got to yeah, go through. Aaron, you're saying under 16. Uh, saying, was it free for under 16 or free for everybody? Everybody. No, everybody. Yeah. Except for oh, grand yeah. final and final. That was the big yeah, one where they sold out per se. Yeah. But the rest of the games, I'll be honest, we had games in Ballarat that will probably only have 1,500 people or 
thousand people, but that's a country game essentially. So we're going to attract, you know, people who are at a boutique ground. They only play at boutique grounds as well. Um, so City Power Centre or Junction over where the home of Victorian cricket, we'd only get 200 people turn up. I used to oh, get busloads of kids to come in. That's a whole lunch. Oh, but that's all, that's all our New Zealand grounds. So boutique grounds is yep. what New Zealand grounds are. Correct. <laughs> but if you take it back to a smaller ground in, in a state, don't take it to Eden Park. Take it to a ground where you know people actually come. It's centrally located, what Eden Park is, I guess. But, you know, yes. and, and then have those other attractions outside uh, of it. What you're saying is, like, if you take, if you take the hearts, you take the hearts, you take hearts to Cornwall Park on a midweek, on a Wednesday or a Thursday, and allow the club to dick it out and actually make some bar takings out of it, make it a community event, you'll probably get a bigger buy-in. Yep, agree. Yep. They did that oh. at North Shore, and I think it worked really well. But on the flip side, the players involved really wanted an opportunity to play at Eden Park because they were tired of playing at Melville. That's their home yep. ground. Yep. They wanted to feel part of being the men's event. And they wanted the main, cricket. you know, the main fixture. Yeah. yeah, they didn't want to be the, the, yeah, yeah. They just didn't want to be those cousins that we didn't want, but they yeah. wanted to be yeah. included <laughs> into the big. <laughs> Um, and the other thing, growing up as a kid, yeah, sorry. No, no, no. I was just going to say, adding on to what Torrance said, as, as a player, you do want to be the one that's playing at Eden Park, and that's what you're trying to achieve at the end of the day as well, isn't it? Um, you know, you want to be playing at the big sports venues. That's why you want to achieve in these games and, and, yeah. and progress up. 100%. I say, very quickly, do the women's big bash players, they get paid, right? Yep, you've They're got Harman Precor, you've got um, world-class players that are coming to play. I think it was about 2014, you can probably do the research on that one, they tried to make like a, an IPL for women. It was an Australian backer, um, Singaporean or Malaysian Australian backer. Um, it didn't, Fair Break, I think it was called, Global, that tried to, to set it up. It didn't work, so that's where the Big Mash sort of had an opportunity, or WBBL had an opportunity to sort of try and get that model up. Um, and yeah. the players that came per se, they bought the, the, the they attracted people. So Harman Preet bought the uh, Indian community to come and watch her play. For example, <laughs> they didn't watch the you know team play; they actually watched her play. You know, yeah. in that sense as the well. The reason I ask, the reason I ask, is that obviously in New Zealand, I don't know if times have changed, but last time I checked, the women's program didn't have paid contracts. The domestic players. So, I'm pretty sure it does now. Yeah, I think it does now. I mean, yeah, World All Cup the, uh, prior no, to no, World Cup. Domestic players. Ah, domestic. Right. Okay, I don't know. Yeah, yeah but not New Zealand contracted ones. Yeah, no, I'm talking about Super Smash players. So sure. a couple of years ago, I know um, a former player was out in the, on the radio talking about the disparity between the men's game and the women's game where when you have these double hitters, the final played, women's final was played followed by the men's final. Yeah, women's final. He was out on radio saying, "Hey, look, these girls were out there playing in a final, not getting mm. paid with no prize money." However, the game after that that followed had a hundred grand prize money on it, uh, so and sort of, it yeah, created a bit of a problem for the CPA, and it kind of carried on. So in the end, that's what I was trying to get at. If you start having them. So you need to have parity as well. We're trying to talk about going to boutique grounds, but the female counterparts actually want to be treated as equal. Yeah. No, I, I, and look, to be honest, is now um, 
you know, being at a premier cricket club is I think our grassroots aren't as strong, and I, I might get in trouble for this, but our grassroots aren't as strong to then cater for that next generation, if that makes sense as well. So essentially we need to strengthen our grassroots first and allow them to develop, and then you'll have a base of players, more so Sophie Devine and so forth coming, that will attract more people to watch the game. I think at current point in New Zealand, we're just a little bit behind in terms of, um, you know, um, I guess good players um, to, to, for people to have eyes on. And I'm not saying they're not good players at the moment. What I'm trying to say is that we need more good players in that sense because yeah, Australian see, cricket in terms of playing numbers would be very similar in, in that sense as well. I, I reckon I go back to the other point, I think, and I'll fall on that side of the fence because I think it's more the production and we don't promote the game. Like our yep. Super Smash, our Super Smash is very attractive. If you give our Super Smash men's one, Mm. and you give it to an Australian production company, they will probably glam it up towards to a big base within the budgets and mm. make it good. Because the on-field cricket package is just as good, just as strong, Yep, yep. I reckon. You know, especially yeah. this diluted six teams broken up into eight is a diluted format. Take away yep. the big pros, take away the Australian contracted players. The I think the product is very good. And you'll probably mm. find the same on the women's front as yep. well. We just don't yeah. sell it well enough. So if well, you divine. Could, yeah. Yeah, I, I personally believe I think you know I've never seen her in an ad, you know? Yeah, no, nah, spot on. And that's the difference between India and how they're growing so quickly, the sharing, you know, Nike on board with Harman and so forth. And also how Australia sells the game a little bit better. They're just I think there's more eyes, but also in the same respect they sell their female uh, sportswoman really, really well. Um, and there are role models then to look at these young girls going, I want to be Sophie. I want to be Amelia Kerr, for example. Hey, guys, yeah, I'm just going to... Celebrate them more, eh? Yeah. Celebrate them. I'm just just going to grab a few um, questions out of the old chat room, actually. Um, because so I'm gonna, I've actually made an executive decision. We'll go on about 10 minutes over time. We'll do a bit of extra time. We've got a drawn match, so we're going to go into some extra time. But um, just a couple of questions out of... I, I think we're going to get agreement on this one, but it's just like um, what Simon Hughes sort of mentioning the fact is that uh, India here is too much of a stronger, is, is too strong. The influence of India is too strong in the game, um, and and I think we're probably going to agree with that. But the fact is that it's a, it's the devil that we have to dance with because they're the ones that bring the biggest dollars into the game. Unfortunately, yes. But that, that's the market. That it, why would you say what's wrong with it? It's the market. It's it's the well exactly it's it's the market it's market influence that it's right. yeah supply and demand yep. right supply and demand but it does mean that, it does mean that there can be detrimental effects to other um, countries because of the drivers that um, are being driven by a higher market force. We see that in yeah. ge general day to day commerce as well. There's no difference. <laughs> Spot on. We just and, the then, and then also. And then I haven't heard about this, actually, so I'm going to take it on face value that it's correct. Um, Spark Sport having Hindi commentaries. Will it work? So you just got to turn, turn on your I, Indian I, box and you get all the... <laughs> 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 I talking over you, I don't know about that. <laughs> you get all, the, um, get all the options on the um, satellite dish box, you know, the boxes you get. Um, Star Plus yep. and so forth. But I, I think the Big Bash we were looking at last year, I think we, we got a bit of a pickle. Um, at one point, the Stars played against uh, – well, the Stars played um, 
Harris Ralph can speak English. He dodged it. He dodged a bullet in the first one and said, I can't speak English. We didn't have an interpreter. My Hindi, unfortunately, wasn't good. Um, Andeep Lamachani <laughs> was there. He's a Nepalese who speaks Hindi. He then did it. But what it did, though, is everyone started saying, why don't we have Hindi commentary? And the Big Bash will grow heavily if there was Hindi commentary there. Um, so I, I think that's a, that's a great thing if they do get it on board because you know more people will watch the game and they'll get to understand the game, I think, a little bit better if they don't actually you know, like listening to Mark Richardson or others. Is that catering to the Indian market or is that catering to the South Asians within Austra- Australasia? Who is that directed towards, though, this Hindi commentary? I think it was, well, this one anyway was Fox and so forth having an option. So I don't know much about Spark, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> is it true that Spark is actually looking at doing the Hindi commentary? I don't know. I, it's just like, uh, I'm not sure it. whether Simon's saying that's a, um, it's, a, is that it's a something that should happen. Or... Yeah. Well, okay, look, I'll, I'll, I'll butt in there for sure for there. Um, what I'm hoping to do, there is a new... Um, uh, head of cricket content for Spark that's been announced um, officially soon. It hasn't actually been officially. I jumped the gum this morning on uh, sports briefing on New Zealand Sports Radio this morning, but it hasn't been officially announced, but um, it will be in so- shortly. I'm hoping to get him onto our show, um, Swinging from the Hip, and um, that'll be a question that we can definitely ask to him. Sweet. Yeah. Mm. Um, moving along, and so Taryn was talking about, you know, Ladies, Big Bash, Women's Big Bash, or not Big Bash, sorry, but Super Smash um, being played at Eden Park, out of Roval, obviously, all the Super Smash played out of. What about more of the men's going out to more of the club grounds or just cricket in general at that provincial level going out to the club grounds? How do we feel about that? You know, our local community seeing the guys close to, closer to them. You need the if wickets. they're not coming to you. The wickets need to stand up. Yeah, so you need to have the quality. The quality wickets. Wickets need to stand up. And no disrespect to the female um, counterparts, but they don't necessarily play at 130 clicks and above. Yeah. Right? So yep. the wickets don't have. So the health and safety factor isn't there. But if you yep. go to a club ground and Lockie Ferguson steaming in, that pitch needs to stand up. One for three games. Three games for right? Parnell last year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was right. and, uh, he's probably coming off six paces, but he'll probably yeah. steam it. And yeah. you know, he'll still get it to stand up. Yeah, there's a health and health and safety aspect. There is the wickets need to be true, so you can offer a good product, and you need the game to go the forty overs, right? Let's so be honest. How do players develop? Better, better hey, how do players develop if they're not getting good quality wickets? Wickets only keep getting better as you go higher and higher. Yeah. So it needs to keep mm. getting better. Yeah. But they played first last cricket at. Cornwall Park a few many years ago. I pushed the yeah. side screen, so I know. Yeah. <laughs> Colin Madden. I was getting good pitches. Yeah. Yeah. That's when um yeah. the twenty ten World Cup was on in New Zealand, rugby yeah. world cup. So yeah. Colin Colin Madden is Auckland's second home ground. Corori yeah. Park. Mm-hmm. Wellington play out ground fixture used to play at Corori Park. Corori. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, look, you can go out, but we and there's the political side. If you leave Eden Park for too long and go somewhere else, then rugby will take over and cricket will get the boot. So you've got to stay in house and be the well, 50 50 tenants yeah. as well. 
Yeah. And uh, I, I suppose so. There's just a few questions out of the old chat room, and then just just to wrap it up, bring it up. Uh, we talked about um, the women's cricket and how they can leverage what Australia's doing over here and the elements that they can do. Um, the 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 diversity side of things. What side of things in terms of in, in you're possibly involved in it? I don't know, but um, diversity developments in New Zealand and in Auckland or throughout the country. Yeah, unfortunately, I'm not. Um, I've taken a role in uh, in a non-diverse sort of area or more Asian populated um, Remiera Parnell in Auckland. Um, yep. But I know, I know the work that you know New Zealand cricket are doing, or understand the work. Um, hopefully, I get to know more and more about it because we have array of South Asians that are coming through state cricket. Um, and I think in club cricket, you look around the, the clubs, or well, last year's uh, lists anyway, you've got a high uh, population of um, South Asians that are coming through as well, male and female. So I look at our Parnell female team. We've got two South Asians, and one of them's contracted to ND. So you sort of say, you know, Papatoi, for example, high population of Samoan. There are actually a lot of Samoans that are playing in the female team there. So essentially, they they are working. The system's working, but I guess it's the next step. How do we get them into the high performance programs? How do we develop them? Those sorts of things. There are overseas players. There's four Samoan international players that yeah. come over from Samoa. There you go. <laughs> for for basically upskilling purposes, because yeah. Samoa are fifteenth in the world in women's cricket. I think fifteenth. Oh, wow. yeah. yeah. So they're not too bad. Hey, before you do get away, though, Hussein, big bash. Trans Tasman bubble, limited cricket with the rest of the world. How would Cricket Australia view opening up the Big Bash for this year? Will they be receptive of New Zealand players coming in and creating a little bracket for them, or is that going to be a close shot? What do you reckon? I, I think it's a bit of a um, COVID hit. Media don't know what to do. Let's build a story because essentially this was spoken about a while back two, three seasons. When I first started, it was it was the talk. At that time, we had enough Kiwis to sort of, you know, implement sort of a team um, or have spots in the team. I, I guess the big one is that um, we've got enough talent. Um, it's television viewership. So at the end of the day, everything is, is about viewership. And if New Zealand, if New Zealand is like Spark Jump on board, massive, it'll work. Um, the TV audience here in New Zealand for Big Bash is big. So essentially, the product is good. Um, and the Kiwi players are playing per se, right? So how do we then sell that back in and say we've got enough talent? I think you spoke about this last week, enough talent here for us to actually bring our own team rather than you picking and choosing. And we can bring two Kiwi coaches. You've got Daniel Vittori. You've got <laughs> Stephen Fleming. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're McCullum. They're, you've got coaches there that are in the system you've as well. you got a general manager there. Uh, yeah, Lee Jamon. Yeah. Bowling um, coach. Simon Inslee, um, he's the manager. general manager for Hobart Hurricanes. You've got a bowling coach in Andre Adams, um, Shane yeah, Bond, yeah. you've got coach. You know, all the players are there. So essentially what it is, is, Spark would have to buy into it. Um, it's all about money and, and dollars and TV audience at the end of the day. And I think I think the model, the, you know, you've got to, if you can bring that one team, it'll be great. But I don't know with where Australian cricket at current point is sitting. Would it would it happen anytime soon? Yeah. What about I look PNG, yep. PNG? People, is there a big PNG community in Australia? No, the TV viewership very no, no, in Australia. In Australia, in PNG, is there uh, yeah, a big people watch it? But essentially, it's um, 
you know, look at look at look at um, uh, rugby league for example. It's it's you know in that sense as well. Rugby league, um, they've got a team I think in the New South Wales or Queensland Cup, and they don't get the followers in that sense as well. So it's um, yeah, I think the talent is there, no doubt. They're playing Premier Cricket, Vanuatu, and, and other Pacific teams. They're there, but um, yeah, it, it's just I don't think the TV viewership is there. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna have to wrap it up real soon. So um, we're gonna take this last one from uh, Simon again in terms of uh, Champions League. Super Smash gets to play the winner of the Big Bash. What do you reckon? IPL, CPL. Look, I I thought about this, Simon. Great question. Great call. Great minds think alike. <laughs> Somebody, somebody's going to turn up, and somebody has to turn up um, with a lot of cash and say, "Hey, you're going to play one-off fixture for a hundred grand or two hundred and fifty grand or something." You've got to put some context. It's a big dollar game. Yeah, like remember that Stanford million-dollar game. Yep. The guy went. Pre-bankruptcy when Chris Gale never going to let go of their money, you know? Million dollars. <laughs> the winner of Big Bash and the winner of Super Smash playing Papua New Guinea. There you go. Why? It. <laughs> In TV audience all around the world. It would work. Um, it's just timing of the year. And, and I guess the big thing about Big Bash is attraction of overseas players and WBBL, sorry, in that sense as well, is the attraction of the players. So having the likes of the, the better players, the Staines, the Ralphs, the Lamachanis and so forth, they're only there for a limited period. So essentially the only issue would be people come to see these stars. They don't come to see the team. They come to see the players from what I've learned anyway. I, um, I know Ashwin wants to close up, but you know, this kind of tournament, Hussein, you should remember this, took place back in... I would say late nineties, early two thousands, when they had the champions of different countries in, playing in South Africa. In, it was in South no, Africa. Won. Hey? Yeah. Victoria it won. Yeah, Victoria won it. Somewhere it was Central yep. District, and a couple of other championship-winning teams turned up yep. and played in some random o- Champions Auckland, League. Auckland went to the one in South Africa. There was a there was a um, Champions League type format in South Africa. Auckland went there. One of Louis Vincent's last tournaments. You're talking about life after IPL. I'm talking about well before the time. This is yeah, Victoria. Victoria oh, okay. went across so yeah, yeah, all yeah. the Bush Rangers, I think. Then, um, and they they went across and they they ended up winning it because I remember the the big fake check sitting in one of the offices um, <laughs> of the general manager of Cricket Week, and he um he loved Cricket it, you know, in that sense. Now, see if they get something for it. Oh yeah, <laughs> they need it. <laughs> but um, yeah, oh mate, that'll be a brilliant idea. All the you know tournaments around the world, it's a it's a massive opportunity to to bring them together. All the winners per se. Um, yeah. But a lot of those guys like uh, the Gales, um, Dale Staines, and these guys, they play for several franchises. So it'll be tricky um, when you know when it's time to sort of who do you choose? Who's got the bigger dollars? I think. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, pays oh well. Question of money, I think we better uh, wrap it up before uh, we lose all our listeners that are still there with us. Um, hey, Hussain, thank you for being on the show with us. It's been awesome. It's really been enlightening in terms of um, particularly about what's, how cricket works overseas, diversity, the women's big bash. So it's been very informative hour, or well over an hour now, actually, into extra time. Um, so to everybody out there, or just look, 
please make sure you hit those like buttons, you hit those share buttons, download the um, content down to your um, podcasting listening machines. We've got um, the morning sports briefs happening with on New Zealand Sport Radio, so tune into those. They're on at seven o'clock in the morning now, so that you can make sure that you've got your news, sporting news fixed before you head to the streets. Hit the streets going to work. Um, we've got Do You Know It's Sport on Wednesday night. So if you want to get on that show, you've got your team, give us drop us a line and we'll get you on there. If you just want to watch, be in, be in there and watch. And and all the two hour, uh, sorry, the hour long chats um, during the day as well. Look, this has been a great bringing you swing from the hips again, episode four, uh, and we will see you back here Thursday eight pm, same bat time, same bat channel here on New Zealand Sport Radio. Thank you very much. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.